If you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue this series in the book of Ephesians. And if uh, you're new here this morning, or if you're watching online, I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham. And uh, no, we do not have t-shirts with my face on the front of them, as a youth pastor mentioned. But, um, hey, exciting news, something we are doing today at the end of the service is um, we're going to be recognizing uh, Hope Rising, which is a pregnancy center in which we, uh, we support. And as well, what's always exciting is uh, we're baptizing today at the end of the service. And so, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Here we are in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 6. And uh, let's all stand together, if we would, in honor of God's word here this morning. And we'll read through verse 14. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own. And by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so we could praise and glorify him. Father, as we come to you in prayer before your throne of grace and mercy, we are thankful. We are thankful that you've saved us. We're thankful that, <clears throat> that you do not keep um, our sins against us. But God, you desire to use every single one of us for your praise, for your glory, to praise and honor you. So God, I pray this morning as we dive into your word here in the book of Ephesians, I pray that we will see the beauty of your grace that you show us. And there's not one of us, not one of us that deserves your grace, but you give it to us, Lord, and you offer it to all of mankind. Any boy, girl, man, woman, you offer it to us all. It's ready. It's available. And I pray that we, that we accept it. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. A famous artist went back to his hometown, and he was walking around on Main Street. And while he was on Main Street looking at the different shops, and he came across an antique store. In the front of the antique store, he saw one of his paintings, one of his masterpieces that he had painted a long time ago before anyone knew his name. He went inside, and as he's looking at it, at his beautiful masterpiece, the frame is dented. The frame, in fact, is broken. There's even a scratch on a part of the painting. And 
he sees it and he remembers of that time in which he took the time to paint that beautiful masterpiece. Now, it was his painting, but he couldn't just go in and talk to the shop's owner and go, hey, I painted that. That is mine. No, if he wanted the painting, he was going to have to buy it back. He was going to have to buy it back. If he wanted to um, clean it, if he wanted to restore it, whatever he wanted to, in it, to clean it up, he was going to need to purchase it back if it was going to be his. You see, Jesus bought us back. Jesus bought us back. Going to the cross, dying for our sins, he bought us back. He didn't have to. He wanted to. And God made mankind in his image. And when God made all that he made, according to the book of Genesis, he sat back and he looked and he called it all good. And of course, Adam and Eve sinned. And disease and wickedness happened in our, in our world. And, and we've been dealing with it since. And so maybe you find yourself in a situation right now where you're a little dinged up. You're a little scratched up. You're dirty. And you wonder, would God want me? Jesus bought us back. Think about that. Now, maybe you're clean and you're all good and you got it all figured out. And you, in that case, you don't need Jesus. And you're deceived because you realize, you don't realize how dirty and how broken you truly are. When we read God's word, it shows us the need of a Savior. It shows us how much we need. We need grace. And we all need grace. And I tell you, in this first chapter here, we see these, uh, God's amazing grace. We see, we see these blessings that God gives his children. That he gives to those who have accepted, who have accepted Christ. And really... Um, the reason, the, reason uh, the, the most popular hymn ever, Amazing Grace, is called Amazing Grace is because grace, there's no other word for grace but amazing. It is amazing. And the result of God's amazing grace is this, is that God's grace is showered on all who believe. It says that God is rich in kindness and in grace. And the result of this is freedom and forgiveness. The word redemption describes the act of purchasing from bondage by paying a price. God has redeemed us. He has set us free. And, and so in order to do so, the price had to be paid. Now, there are many people you may come across, and maybe that's how you feel this morning, that, well, I'm a good person. I, I try to help other people. And you might be a good person compared to other people who are around you. But when you end up comparing yourself to God, who is holy, and it's one of the reasons he gave us his word, the Bible, to show us our need for a Savior, to show us that we all have sinned and we fall short of, of the glory of God, and that we fall short of what is required for heaven, that we need help, we need a Savior, we need, we need grace. And so what is grace? Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us 
as our sin deserves. You see, mercy withholds a punishment we deserve. Grace gives a blessing we don't deserve. And so you may be surprised uh, to find out that Jesus, Jesus actually never used the word grace. Now, he taught it, and even more important, he, he lived it, but we don't see a just pure definition of just, or just one definition of grace in, uh, in the Bible. But we, um, we understand what grace means requires us to kind of get, to get an idea what grace is, is to go back to the Hebrew term uh, to bend or to stoop. It gives that idea that grace bends or stoops. Now, if you've ever been to London, my wife and I went to London years ago, a couple months after we were married, and saw the different sites and went to uh, it's a well, Buckingham Palace, and we just some, some beautiful parts of London. And um, if you um, have uh, know about the king and then the queen and their the royal family, which um, I'm going to be real honest, do not care at all about any of that. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you love all of that. Maybe you watched when um, was it? Man, I can't remember. I'm going to goof some of these names up. But anyway, when the, when the prince married the, uh, the, the one uh, movie star, Hollywood girl, I can't remember her name either, and I don't care. So and I don't need it. Uh, I'm not asking. But they got married. Maybe you watched that. And that's fine. Like, that's like maybe something fairy tale for you, and you love that. That's, that's neat. I, I did not watch um, it at all. And that's a very long, that's a very long wedding. Um, Hope they're happy. It may, the longer the wedding, um, the more torture it might be, is what I heard. But that's what I heard. I don't know. Nonetheless, with this idea of stooping and showing grace to bend, is this idea of royalty. And so the most familiar we are in here in America with royalty and royal family would be England. And the idea of royalty touching and talking and doing with someone who's a commoner and, and talking with them and shaking their hand, touching them, the idea of stooping. A Bible scholar by the name of Donald Barnhouse uh, said that love, goes, love that goes upward is worship, love that goes outward is affection, and love that stoops is grace. In the 1940s and 50s, there was a British conference that they would compare religions. The purpose of the conference was to bring in experts from all over um, the Christian faith and different faiths and focus in on what, was, what belief was unique to the Christian faith. And that's what they were discussing at this, this specific conference at that time. And they began eliminating possibilities. And um, it, it couldn't be the incarnation because other religions had different versions of gods appearing as human. And it couldn't be the resurrection. Other religions had accounts of, of returning from death. And the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist, became a Christian, walked in. And they asked C.S. Lewis, who was very well known, I said, what do you think? What, what makes Christianity so different, so unique? And he said, oh, it's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And I believe he's right. You see, if you were to take all the other world's religions, you take Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, 
you put them all together, they have something in common in which they're either trying to be perfect, to be acceptable to God, in other words, be good enough, or they were trying to work their way to become their own God along those lines. Like there's some form or fashion of some kind of work of trying to reach God. But Christianity is the opposite. God showed grace, meaning he stooped down to our level. He was born like us. He lived like us. He, and he, why? To reach us, to show grace. And through the man Jesus Christ, who is God, came to our level. He stooped and he showed grace. That is a difference. Christianity, how, I can just sum it up that way. Is that Christianity is about how God stooped down to our level. All the other world's religions are about how to become your own God or to reach God by your works and just trying to be good enough. See, you'll never be good enough in Christianity. You need help. You need a Savior. We all need it. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. Conquering death for you and for me. God has shown us grace. And this beautiful thing about grace is not only does, did, good, did God you know, stoop the grace stoop and, and, and to our level and, and, and show us this unmerited favor in which we did not earn. God also, he continues to shower blessings upon us. And that's how it reads here in the first uh, verse 7 and, and, and 8. So he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I just love how it describes it. It just showers it upon his children, upon us. Now, if you were to go into our shower, you will see, and I'm sure my wife's not the only one, picking on my wife she's in kids church this morning and um you'll go in there and you'll find a certain shampoo i probably can't pronounce you'll find a conditioner you'll find this bottle and that bottle and that bottle and there's so many different ones ladies you don't all have to raise your hands at the same time i'm not saying you don't need it i'm saying i'm not saying that's a bad thing okay i'm just it's a lot of money but i'm just saying like it's it's what you need to do like go for it I'm going to confess, and my wife makes fun of me about this, I have one bottle. You say, oh, you must use your wife's shampoo. No. You must use her condition. No. I have a three-in-one, all right there. It's quick. It's easy. I'm clean, and I smell fine most of the time. Why do I mention that? It's like God saves us. It's like all in one as he showers, like he showers his grace and mercy and kindness all in one. Like he loves us. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, of sin and brokenness and dirtiness and puts us into the kingdom, his kingdom of light. And you say, man, I, I still feel so dirty. I don't know if I could ever. Be. He cleans you. It's so beautiful. He cleans you. See, some of you right now still think in your mind, I, I can't really become a Christian and really do this Christian thing because I'm too dirty. I need to clean up. I need to, I need to stop doing this, 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 and this. And you might need to stop those things. 
But even if you do all those things, you're still not going to be clean enough. Because God's like, regardless of how dirty you are, I'm going to clean you. I'm going to change you. And that's what grace does. It's an all-in-one. He gives it all to us. You see, God's grace also does this. It repositions us. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we are in his family, in his plan, and uh, living in his will. See, God's plan revealed in Jesus Christ caught the religious Jews off guard. They were anticipating a mighty um, victor military leader who would come in and deal with the Gentiles, deal with the Romans, and just, you know, man, Israel would rule and reign again. But God knew that that was not his plan. Through Jesus Christ, he came to build, bring a spiritual kingdom, and he has. God gave Christ all authority in heaven and on earth, according to the Bible, according to Scripture. We see this in Matthew 28. We also see him mention this, that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, that nothing is left out when it comes to Christ's authority. I mean, nothing. He is over it all. And, and we also see that, that there will come a time. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it, it mentions of this, this fullness of time. Notice it says in verse 10, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in what? Heaven and on earth. Maybe you've had some unfortunate things happen to you. Maybe even evil. And maybe you're angry with God right now, and you're like, God, nothing has happened to them. Why haven't you done something? I want to say this. Justice, justice delayed is not justice denied. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Everyone will give an answer. We all will be judged by God. He will right the wrongs. Eventually, he will deal with it. It all is underneath the authority of Christ, and it will come at the right time. It will come at the right time. And so until Christ returns and takes his rightful throne over Israel and all the nations of all the world, he is in the process of recruiting into his kingdom, joint heirs and, and, and from um, uh, among both the Jews and the Gentiles. And this mystery, uh, you know, unrevealed in the Old Testament, broke loose to the gospel for salvation to all, to everybody. And on those lines of where you're at in your life, I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 2, what it says. So, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. God has given us the Holy Spirit at salvation to help you live a holy life. To live a life that pleases God. We don't always do it perfectly, no. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. And there's times in your life as a Christian <clears throat> in which you're going to feel bad about yourself. The enemy loves that. He, he wants you to feel bad about yourself. He wants you to remember your sin. 
but you then can show him and quote him Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation for those who what belong to Christ Jesus. And if you belong to him, if you belong to him, when Satan reminds you of your past, you can remind him of his future. Because Jesus will deal with him in time, rest assured. You may think, well, hey, um, you know, why hasn't he dealt with him quite yet? I, I don't know. But in the right time, in the right way, he will deal with Satan, who the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. For whatever reason, has a certain amount of power here on earth during this time. And there are many Christians and maybe even non-believers or people who just, they just don't know. They think Satan is in hell right now waiting for every person who comes to hell to welcome them, to, to, to torture them, to beat them. He's not there. He will be eventually. It will be his home. But today, he is on earth. There is real spiritual warfare. There is a real battle going on. We see it. We sense it. We feel it. And maybe sometimes we feel like we're losing. But I have read God's word. I've read God's word. And there used to be an old song by the cathedral. Some of you are going to, I'm going to press some of you that are above 50 right now. It used to be called, uh, I've read the back of the book and we win. It's not actually accurate. I know. I just spoke some blasphemy to some of you. I've read the Bible, and we've already won. In fact, we're just running up the score. That's actually what's going on. Now, if you've ever been to a basketball game, I've been to a lot of basketball games recently, and... Um, when it comes to basketball, and I grew up playing, um, there's times that, man, you can really beat another team. And then there's times you're on the receiving end of that, right? You ever had a team run up the score on you before? I think the, the college I went to for one year, Bible college I went to, they had a football team years ago. And in fact, they're in the record books. I'm going to brag a little bit. They're in the record books for... Um, the, the, uh, the most points ever scored against a college team was against them. They're in the record books. Yes. They have other sports. They still haven't brought back football. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Christ is the authority. My father used to have a shirt. He probably still has the shirt, honestly, that I would read that when I was a kid. And it said, there's two things certain in life on the front. And on the back, it said, number one, there is a God. Two, you're not him. <laughs> and it's true. The authority belongs to Christ. It all is underneath his feet. It all belongs to him. See, God's grace also does this. God's grace, it unites us. Notice verse 11. It says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ... We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that the Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And so we are united in Christ. God likes um, a variety of things. You can imagine if there was only one type of ice cream. Whatever your favorite ice cream. I love ice cream. I love ice cream. 
And I, my favorite is, some of you might say graders, some of you might say, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe homemade from UDF is really good. Maybe you have your favorite ice cream. But how boring would life be if we only had vanilla ice cream? And there was never different flavors. There was never strawberry mixed in. There was never cookies and cream. There was never chocolate chip. There was never, like, whatever your favorite ice cream is, it would be pretty, God likes a variety. And he made us all a little bit different in personality and in looks and in skin color and in eye color and in hair color. And like, he makes us all a little bit different. And it says, but yet we're united. We can, we can be different and yet be unified. How? How can we be unified? How could we go, and some of you have ever been on a mission trip, I've been on a mission trip to Honduras, and you go to Honduras, and you meet people you've never met before, and yet there is this unity in the Spirit. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're in the family of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. It doesn't mean we have to agree on every single detail of everything. No. But it means that we focus on Jesus. It means that we love each other. You may not even like everybody that's around you. Some of you, you know, you know, it is what it is. But hey, God loves you, and so we love you as well. If you're not sure who that person is, you might be that person. I don't know. I'm just saying. No, we love. We're called to love one another fellowship with one another, like one another, help one another. Grace unites us because when we realize how much we've been forgiven and how much God loves us, we're willing to forgive other people. We're willing to show grace to others as well. You see, who in your life maybe deserved something? Maybe your child did something wrong and they deserved a certain punishment. They may need that. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone here in church. And while they might deserve something or this or that or the other, you decide, no, I'm going to show grace. Now, we know in God's word that, that we're called to, since we've been forgiven, we should forgive other people. I wonder if when we show grace to other people, if God showers even more grace upon us because we're willing to give it. And as we follow Christ and the Lord's making us more and more like Jesus, are we showing grace to other people? I, I hope and I pray that we are. Because grace, it unites us. We, we, none of us deserve God's salvation. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve to be forgiven. But he has shown us grace and we're so thankful for it. In fact, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Peter said that our inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, that will not fade away, and that, um, and that it is reserved in heaven for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul told the, the Corinthians, I have, not, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things in which God has prepared for them that love him. Not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, he has an inheritance in us. And all of heaven joins in songs of happiness and praise over when just one sinner is saved. God's favorite song 
is the song of the redeemed. As scripture says, the angels rejoice in heaven when one sinner comes to faith. Heaven knows. They're watching as names are being written in the book of life that is in heaven. And they rejoice. Grace unites us. Not because any one of us is better than the other, but because we're underneath the umbrella of God's grace. You see, God's grace, it also does this. It gives us a new identity. Verse 13, verse 13, and it says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Paul wanted to make it clear. It's no longer about you being Jewish and no longer about you being Gentile. We are one in Christ. Our identity is found in him. It's found in him. We live, hey, we live in a world that is very divisive. We live in a world that, want, even in our own country, we've seen of we want different people angry and mad at the other people or on this side or this color or that color. That's what we see today. And maybe that's where you find yourself. I don't know. But in Christ, because our identity is in him, because we're on the same family, because we're united together in Christ, our identity is in Christ. You see, it's not a, a white Christian, black Christian, Asian Christian, Indian Christian. No, no, no. Our identity is Christ. Period. I am a Christian who happens to be white. Or a Christian who happens to be black or Asian or this or that. No, our identity is in him. That's how we're called. That's what we are in the spiritual realm. And even while our time here on earth, that we are in Christ. And notice that in Christ, in our identity, our identity is sealed. By the Holy Spirit, who is God. This word seal means to make something secure. The seal itself denotes ownership, approval, or closure. And note the order of events that Paul mentions. After listening to the message of the truth, and after believing the gospel of salvation, and then they are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this means that all who have heard and believed, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, have been permanently sealed. And it's impossible for us to trump God's gift to somehow diminish what God has done. Paul couldn't make it clear. All those who believe the gospel of salvation have been sealed. The tra transaction is complete. And if there's a Bible verse that points to us being complete in Christ, of once we have come to salvation, of not losing our salvation, it is right here. For we are sealed. Now, this is a message within of itself. It really is. And some Christians disagree with other Christians. And um, it's a secondary issue, not a main gospel issue. Uh, but sometimes people, when they hear this, go, but 
They love to use hypotheticals, right? Now, what if, what if he or she killed like 10 people tomorrow? Are they still saved? Well, were they even really saved in the first place? You know, and, and the different scenarios that one could come up with. At the end of the day, if someone is truly born again, you've got to ask yourself a couple questions. One, does the Bible mention a specific amount of sins that caused you to lose your salvation or a certain sin? The answer is no. If you could lose your salvation, let's say you did, is there any example in Scripture where anyone, anyone, was saved a second time? It's not in there. If anyone should have been saved, if anyone, let me rephrase this, if anyone should have lost their salvation and then needed to you know, accept Christ a second time, it was Peter. It was Peter. He denied Jesus three different times. I mean, that guy should have lost his salvation. If I was God, I'm like, ding, like, you're out of here, dude. Done with you. But he didn't. He said, no, you're one of the foundations of, while well, Jesus is the cornerstone, he's part of the foundation of what I'm going to do here in the church. Wow. How humbled Peter must have felt and been. See, God's grace, it gives you, it gives us purpose. It really does. I know I mentioned this passage last week, but and many of you know it, but it's Romans 8, 28. And, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose for them. You know, life can have a way of kicking you and shoving you and keeping you down. And you may not feel very valuable. You may even feel dumb this morning. And you may wonder, does God really have a purpose for me? A fish would feel really silly if all it knew was living on land. But as soon as it touches water, it finds its purpose. And maybe, just maybe, you haven't found your purpose, the plan that God has for you. Make no question, God's plan overall for every believer is making you more like Christ, more forgiving, showing more grace. But also, we see Jesus many different times in Scripture standing for what was true, showing love, encouraging others to repent. In fact, that's how he opened his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you're looking for your purpose. Grace, it gives us purpose. And yes, we continue to deal with temptations, evil, pressures, and fears in this world in which we live in. But through a spirit, and if you pursue the Lord, you let the Holy Spirit fill you, in other words, control you. He'll show you what you need to do. He'll show you what direction to go as you trust in Him. So as you experience God's grace, notice, notice what happens if you've experienced God's grace. We see this sprinkled out through this passage here. We see in verse 11, seek God's will 
and follow his revealed plans. God has revealed certain things. He's made it clear. And when God makes something clear, run to it. Run for it. Let the Holy Spirit guide you through the word and through prayer. My Christian friend, if you're not in the word, if you're not spending time in prayer, and you're wondering, God, what are you up to? You're missing out on some wonderful, wonderful blessings of, of letting the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you through his word. There are so many who want some kind of special revelation from the Spirit. Why, why would the Holy Spirit give you anything extra if he really is even doing that? I don't think he is. If you won't even dig into the word and spend time in prayer, he'll show you what you need. And last but not least, notice verse 14 at the end. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Preacher, what's my purpose? Praise and glorify him. And if you really have experienced and tasted the grace of God, the natural reaction is to praise and glorify him. In the beautiful hymn that was written, Amazing Grace. It is a beautiful, beautiful hymn. that was written years ago by, um, by Newton, by John Newton. He was raised in church. He had heard many of the old church songs and great hymns, but he rebelled. He rebelled and decided that he was not going to respect authority. He was going to become a sailor and cuss just like one. And he openly, openly made fun of the faith of others, including Christians. In March of 1748, well, the ship that he was on called the Greyhound was in the North Atlantic. A violent storm came upon the ship that was so rough it swept overboard a crew member who was just standing right where Newton had been standing. Hours after the crew emptied the water from the ship and expecting to be capsized, Newton and another mate tied themselves to the ship's pumps to help them from being swept overboard. It was a storm that scared him greatly. It was a storm in which he didn't think he'd come out of. He knew his own rotten heart. He knew who he was. And several weeks before the storm, he had been reading The Christian's Pattern, The Imitation of Christ by another author. And the memory of an uttered phrase in, in another way redeemable, <clears throat> as he had not only neglected his faith, but directly opposed it, mocking others who showed their faith, denouncing God as a myth, he came to believe that God had sent a profound message. He began to work 
through him. And he wondered, God, can you save a wretched sinner like me? He penned those words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He made a movie about it. Even once was a part of the slave trade there in England. And after he was saved, fought against that. I just thought, as we end this message today, and I want us to sing Amazing Grace together. So let's all sing together. Blake, as you lead us, sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am blind but now I see this grace that taught my heart to feel and grace feels me Precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed when we've been there ten thousand. No.